The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Gowan Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Bit misnamed today because we're really uh, catching up with a developer, I think. We're talking about RareX. ASX code is REE. Um, we have spoken to them before, and um, I think most listeners will know that uh, the company is underpinned by its Cummins Range Rare Earths and Osprey project. About 135 kilometres southwest of Halls Creek, and it's one that spans the two big mega trends out there electrification, slash rare earths, and population growth, the need to feed the world and improve productivity of land through the application of fertilizers. So, an interesting one. We welcome back today James Durant, the CEO. G'day, James. How's it going? Hello, Barry. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Good. Uh, I'll. Um, Mentioned there that uh, market cap's roughly 27 million, stocks trading around 3.9 cents. Uh, lots of upside with this one as the company moves this project towards production. Now, James, uh, we've been waiting for this. Uh, the scoping study gives, uh, starts to put some numbers and gives us a feel for the company's plan to uh, get Cummins Range into production. Can you give us a bit of a rundown on what you found in the scoping study? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's probably worth touching on a little bit of the context here. Um, mm. We we analysed this project um, uh, a little over a year ago uh, as a rare earth only project, and we worked our way through um, some engineering on that. And we took a lot of learnings from the outcomes of that. We overlaid those uh, those learnings, particularly around the way the economic sensitivities were working, uh, the confidence on the metallurgy. And we overlaid that with the resource development, which was being updated. And we, we put that out um, in May uh, this year. And it's a very large resource. It's got a lot of rare earths in it. It's got a lot of phosphate in it. So we took the learnings from the resource. We took the learnings from the metallurgy. We took the learnings from the engineering work before and realized that everything that we had talked about um, that was uh, an area that should be investigated and explored um, was really coming good. Um, so we changed uh, the approach to this project. Instead of purely focusing on um, rare earths, we looked at it as a combined rare earth phosphate project. Mm. And a lot of the metallurgy was speaking to this. And so we hypothesized back in, uh, back in April this year that we could develop this project in three phases. And this scoping study really puts the numbers around what that now looks like. We've done the engineering commensurate uh, to a scoping study in some cases um, a more advanced study than that. And we can show that this project can be delivered by moving through three stages of project growth, with the first stage being very simple and low cost and setting the scene for stage two and stage three, which become more complicated um, and bring in more rare earths into the picture. Right. And just before uh, moving on, I'll just mention that uh, Cummins Range, one of the biggest on the ASX, if not uh, the biggest in terms of 1.6 million tonnes of total rare earth oxides contained and about 24 million tonnes of phosphate contained, so a big project. So what uh, what can we say about the uh, the initial stage one, the phosphate DSO project? 
Yeah, so stage one is a really interesting and I think very unique, one would say almost a, a, a rare approach to a project, is to get a lot of the pre-strip material moved and monetize it at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we're fortunate enough to have quite a lot of high-grade phosphate um, near the surface, which we can access um, and use it uh, for either direct application fertilizer, which we think is the most appropriate uh, place for it, um, all going into synthetic fertilizers via the phosphoric acid route. Um, so that means that we can essentially start a small quarry. Um, the capital cost would be well below $50 million. Um, it would be very simple civil infrastructure, uh, mm. and it would tap into the supply chain that already exists um, up, in, uh, up in the region in the Kimberley with the, with the roads already connecting to a bulk-ready port. So it means it's, it, we can start this project incredibly simply get a really good operating footprint um, and then use that to grow. So the products from stage one, it's not about the rare earths. At that first stage, and it's probably going to last for three or four years, um, that first stage is all about the phosphate. Um, and we've got a marketing team at the moment looking at the value and use of that uh, product and where it can be placed in Australia and uh, near shore overseas. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that value and use is driven by some really interesting factors that we're very fortunate within our resource. Uh, one is, uh, and probably most importantly, is that it's very bioavailable. And so when you talk about phosphate being applied to plants, the plant only really cares, and therefore the farmer only really pays for um, phosphate that's going to be taken up by the, by the, uh, by the plant itself, by the crop. Mm -hmm. Our stuff is very bioavailable. We've showed this in results that have been released to the market over the, over the uh, Near, near a few months, that this is very bioavailable. So a lot of phosphate is available to go into the plants. That is a real value in use driver. Um, it's also um, it's going to be direct shipping ore, so it won't have any chemical treatment, which means it can be, uh, it can be classified as, as organic. And it's going to be made in WA, um, up in a region that um, really would, would like the support for it. So I think it's a very good um, product, uh, and we're working hard now to, uh, to market that. Mm -hmm. You hope to give investors a feel for phosphate market is not well known in this market, obviously. Um, yeah, sort of price and the uh, key markets for it. Absolutely, yeah. Phosphate fundamentally is an absolutely irreplaceable macronutrient uh, for for plants and for crops. So plants need um, the the usual one you would hear about in the likes of Bunnings is NPK, nitrogen, uh, phosphate, and potassium. Absolutely irreplaceable. Mm -hmm. Plants can't grow without it. Um, and Australia imports all of its rock phosphate. Uh, typically, um, rock phosphate is converted into, um, into uh, derivative fertilizer products um, through the phosphoric acid route. You often get a lot, of, a lot of rock phosphate comes in from North Africa. It gets processed in these phosphate uh, and phosphoric acid facilities and turned into synthetic fertilizers and brought to Australia. Uh, in some cases, this uh, rock phosphate is come, uh, comes to Australia and gets processed itself um, here. But we don't really make any of it ourselves. In fact, uh, it's 90% it's plus is, uh, is brought in from overseas, uh, very much reliant on the North African and Chinese market. To some degree, actually, um, the, the Russian and Belarus um, supply, which has obviously been constrained in, in, in recent uh, years. Um, so we're heavily reliant upon it. And in fact, it's um, it's sufficiently important for most countries, most uh, Western countries, that it's either on the critical minerals list or being considered for the critical minerals list. And so it shows the importance of it. 
And uh, mm. I think Australia would really benefit from having locally uh, locally produced uh, phosphate resources. Does the scope and study get down to you know, projected cash costs uh, versus market prices? Look, ab- absolutely. We um, we'll, we've presented the scoping study with um, three uh, pricing positions, which I I won't go into too much detail here because um, the detail is, is is there, and I don't want to confuse uh, the listeners. Um, but fundamentally, uh, rock phosphate is benchmarked against uh, North African Morocco OCP produced thirty two percent phosphate material, mm-hmm. and from that one can translate uh, a product price uh, depending on grade and deleterious elements and other factors of the product. And that's what we've done. And so our pricing positions um, have taken a consideration for the spot price, um, the forecast price, and, uh, and a low case um, where, the, where the market drops uh, somewhat. And we look across that range to see, is our project robust, uh, sufficiently robust? Right now, mm. I think uh, rock phosphate uh, from Morocco uh, is around about uh, 300 US dollars uh, a ton. Um, it has been as high as 350 US dollars a ton uh, for 32% rock phosphate. Um, it will commonly trade at 200 to 250. Um, so that uh, gives a very good platform to be able to do our pricing calculations. Mm. The consideration there, though, is that the market. Um, that that price is generated from is the phosphoric acid market. So as we discussed just a moment ago, the stage one material has probably got a stronger market in the direct application rock phosphate um, space where those other contributing factors build up value in the product. Right. Mm, Okay. That's the start, the quote unquote simple sort of quarrying operation, cash flow uh, deriving, obviously, and then Stage two and uh, eventually a stage three. What's uh, what's the scoping study saying about the stage two? Yes, absolutely. Um, stage one gives us that platform. It gives us good operating cash flows, positive cash flows in most scenarios. And then it sets the scene for stage two. It sets us um, a very good platform to build stage two because we can prove that we've already agreed. We've um, fully offset the costs of moving that um, that initial material. We've gained the trust of the community. Um, in the region that we're operating, we've got our supply chains all sorted. So that means mm. stage two comes in much lower risk. And I will highlight that risk is a big part of this conversation because a rare earth project is notoriously high risk. And, you know, you don't have to go very far uh, looking around in industry to find the ramifications of that and the fallout of that. Mm. Um, not only is it high risk, it can be incredibly high cost. Our, our mission and our, our hypothesis, which we which we have ultimately demonstrated in the scoping study, shows that we can do it low risk and low cost. So yeah. the low risk piece is because that stage one gives us the low risk platform for the reasons I just covered. For us, then, the low cost element is building a simple beneficiation um, plant for stage two. Our metallurgy showed us that if we focused on phosphate flotation, we bring through all the rare earths. Whereas if we focused on rare earth flotation, we'd lose some of the phosphate. So in an interesting twist here, we focused on phosphate flotation uh, for the plant. It's about a $300 million build all in for stage two. And that's, you know, three or four years after operating stage one. So we've got, you know, a good roadmap from which to build that. Um, That floats a very rich phosphate um, mineral concentrate 
which brings the rare earths up to a um, two or three percent uh, rare earth level. The minerals that we're focused on there is the mineral of apatite, which is the phosphate side, and the mineral of monazite, which most people in the in the who are familiar with rare earths, mm -hmm. they come up together. Then our mission is to take that mineral concentrate along the same supply chain that we've developed for stage one, which is along the main roads up to Port Wyndham, through the port onto a bulk carrier, and then out to a phosphoric acid plant. And the unique nature of this resource is that the minerals that contain the phosphate, are the, the appetite mineral, is incredibly clean and can be chemically leached very cleanly from the rest of the material. Wow. So we end up being able to place this product into the phosphoric acid industry, very cleanly strip away the phosphate, and then very easily be able to treat the rare earths into a monazite concentrate for selling into a monazite refinery. So it's complicated and we're building up the supply chain and, and the market for this, but it's a very, very nice way of doing rare earths and phosphates together. Right. Okay. Is that the final stage or is it stage three as well? There is stage three. Um, we don't need to worry about that. It doesn't really kick in until year 15 or so. Um, but it is, uh, we are very cognizant of it. It is the transition uh, from the regolith, the oxidized portion of the resource into the fresh mm -hmm. rock portion of the resource. Mm -hmm. We have slightly less definition of that because obviously it's much deeper. It's at the sort of 100 to 150 meters down. Um, it will be the focus of uh, future drilling campaigns, but we've got many years um, to resolve um, any uncertainties in that region. Uh, but fundamentally, it is using the same plant as stage two, modified um, slightly to take the fresh rock, modified with a bit of front end infrastructure because the fresh rock allows for ore sorting and the removal of a lot of gang materials. Um, and what it means is that the whole platform, any, any growth in the resource can be managed by the platform that we're deploying over those two stages, stage two and mm. stage three. So anything that we now grow um, on Cummins range, on the on the on the uh, carbonatite intrusion itself, or any of the neighbor neighboring uh, potential intrusions that we've got uh, on the same tenement, are all future feed for the same plants. Mm. Okay, so well on the path to uh, monetizing the Cummins range uh, deposit. I was just wondering the not stage one, but uh, stage two and. There, there is a capex cost there. Uh, just compared with the market cap currently, twenty-seven million. Obviously, that uh, should probably improve as a bit closer to a, a financial investment decision. But I'm just wondering, you're in North Australia. There is government funding for projects in uh, North Australia, and uh, there is uh, funding coming from all parts of the world now for strategic minerals and phos uh, phosphate and rare earth. Certainly, fit into that those categories. So I'm just wondering, do you see that potential for external financing support from government agencies uh, being part of your plan? Yes, absolutely. You're, you're quite right. There is a, there is a lot around. Um, the first, first off, we, we certainly recognize uh, our position, our market capitalization currently. Um, it's one of the, the great aspects of the way we're planning on developing this is that we have that stage one that is mm. well sub 50 million. I think we're at about 44, 45 million at the moment uh, to develop that. And then um, then stage two is around about the 300 million at, uh, at the three or four year mark. So we recognize that our current market cap position, we obviously want to grow that, but we needed to make sure that stage one was within our capability. And it absolutely is both financially um, and uh, with the skills around um, the team now, we've brought in a lot of capability from 
operating mining industry, uh, not mm. just uh, not just exploration or study work. It's the actual operations side. Um, but there is, uh, and there is government um, funding availability. We've been doing some work to map out um, what's uh, what's available and at what point we should start um, uh, seeking to have these contributions. But the project is it ticks so many um, so many boxes. Um, excuse the cliche, but for uh, government initiatives, but it's clearly a critical minerals project. Um, it's got the phosphate angle which could potentially be a critical mineral as it is on other countries' uh, lists. That product can be used locally off the bat. We've got a, a MOU with um, Ordco, uh, which is the primary fertilizer distributors up there. So we've already got the potential to contribute to the local industry, not just by digging and, and, and trucking the material, but also by selling mm. it, having it used locally. And then we're in the Kimberley. Um, we're in the regions. We're near uh, the communities of Halls Creek and Luna, and they're both very disadvantaged communities and they're desperately looking for meaningful employment. And the stage one certainly um, provides a really, really good training platform for a lot of um, civil um, civil equipment operators uh, because it is going to be, you know, road building and, you know, light quarrying um, for a few years. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's an excellent platform to really grow. The corridor, the minerals corridor goes through um, Halls Creek um, past uh, the Kananara turnoff and off to Wyndham. The employment opportunities for Halls Creek with truck staging, uh, for rest stopovers, et cetera, will really help that local economy. And the same with Wyndham Port, which is, um, which is actually on the up and coming. We should talk about that later. But all of those things is exactly what government are looking for support in critical minerals, regional growth, local agricultural support, um, uh, traditional owner support, um, you know, the desert communities out there have, uh, have been left behind somewhat um, the rest of the country. So it really is going to help. And uh, we've had good early discussions with the relevant ministers and we're continuing with those. Mm. Now, you mentioned uh, the port of Wyndham there. In, uh, it's uh, categorised as a, a bulk a port in the sense that iron ore has been going out of there. Um, but I was just wondering, you're not all that far from the orbit of the hydro plant. So is there potential for green energy supply to the project, the stage two? This it's a good point, and it is next, uh, not far from the um, from the Argyle uh, Dam and the and the hydro station there. Reticulation from there to our project site is not not economically viable, but it is already reticulated at the port of Wyndham, and that cool. port is a really emerging strategic port in my view. Um, it's definitely underutilized at the moment, but there's a bunch of mining projects coming up. There's Agrimin that we're in an MOU with to share infrastructure. Um, there's, uh, there's there's a, a Macintosh graphite project. There's the Boab Minerals project. There's um, you know there's Panoramic. There's uh, there's the um, uh, the gold mine uh, Pont uh, Pantoros gold mine there. Um, so there's plenty of uh, operations um, existing. Some are on, on standby. Some of them are up and coming. Some of them are developing, and it's being recognised by that port. And I think the fact that that port is on the hydroelectric scheme, it's already reticulated there. Uh, is a real uh, interesting piece. So any any downstream processing that can be located at the port for any one of us that are developing projects up there um, is going to be a fantastic opportunity to bring genuine renewable energy into the project um, where that infrastructure is, has already been built. It's already been used for the Argyle Diamond Mine. That's now shut down. Um, so that available power that's from that um, committed infrastructure that's already in place is a, is a real upside for that port. I should say we we're um, we're 
uh, I've got a very good relationship with um, with the iron ore um, exporters, Kimberley Metals over there. It's certainly part of our consideration to share um, to share their facility, and uh, we're working with them on agreements uh, for that, and that'll improve our position uh, on, on, on our capital cost um, basis. Um, and the Kimberley Port Authority, the KPA, they've put in for port of first entry um, at that port, so they recognise the strategic implications of a port in the north and are really pushing government to start uh, putting in extra infrastructure there. And all of that is of benefit to us and our, and our peers in the region. Right. just want to uh, quickly touch on uh, Kinkora Copper, uh, active explorer in the lock and fold belt of New South Wales, looking for big uh, copper gold porphyry systems. The company had a, at the asset level had 35%, but you've uh, done some dealing there and now you're represented through an ongoing 18% equity interest. Which, if they are hit a porphyry, would uh, more than justify your market cap, let alone what you've got in the Kimberley. So I'll just mention that. But it's uh, unfortunately come to the time where we'll have to sum things up. So if we just give investors a feel for what they should be looking out for in the next six months or so from the project uh, at Cummins Range. Absolutely. Like I really encourage investors to, to digest the scoping study, to post any questions. We've got the mechanism for you to post questions. Follow the links on that. Um, to ask questions about that scoping study. Fundamentally, we've got a scoping study that's a rare earth project. It's enabled by low risk phosphates. It's in a staged manner, which distributes capital costs and it distributes risk really well. And it's on a massive resource that's got the potential to continue to grow. Um, the team have been involved to be able to um, get this thing off the ground and get an operating um, asset happening in the very near term. And you'll see all of those announcements as we move through our approvals pathway and get the various agreements signed off to stitch the supply chain together. And then just as what you touched on there, the business has some really good um, investments. King Cora Copper is one of three main investments we have. Um, we've got Cosmos, which is uh, playing in the lithium space in Canada, um, near to Patriot Battery um, Minerals' is, uh, deposit over there. We've got, um, we've got the Canadian Rare Earth uh, Corporation as well, uh, as a, we're a major investor in them. They're a, a rare earth trader. Um, so we've got a very good um, rounded business there. Um, we've got a, a program of uh, called Rare Exploration internally. Uh, that's looking across our secondary tenements for, um, for other, uh, other targets. Um, we're active in the target generation space. And so we've got Cummins range and we've got um, this upside in our Rare Exploration space. But our Ooh. focus internally on the back of this scoping study is turning this into advanced engineering and getting an operation as quickly as possible. The critical path is going to be approvals. We're working actively through that. Our new study manager, Kai, is an approval specialist uh, and study manager out of MinRes in the operating space. He knows exactly what we need to do to get through that, and we've been working actively. So you'll start to see all of that news flow coming through, all of the uh, agreements that we're doing with third parties to get this stage one off the ground, and hopefully set a platform up for building up to this awesome critical minerals project when stage two kicks in. Right. So there you go, folks. A um, very interesting story, underpinned by a uh, world-class deposit, uh, looking to uh, become a producer of, uh, as I said at the start, two of the critical components of uh, two of the mega trends out there, electrification, population growth. And as I suggested towards the end there, the company's uh, investments and uh, its exploration program probably cover the $27 million market cap as we stand. So. 
an interesting valuation story there. So with that, James, thanks for your time again today. Good luck with it all. Keep watching with interest. Thank you very much, Mary.